Last week, we were looking at Revelation chapter 4 and 5. It's this amazing image of heavenly worship. And there in the center is God on his throne, and, and Jesus is there depicted as a lamb, and just endless worship around them. And then appears this scroll, and it's the lamb. It's Jesus. Because of his sacrificial death, he's the only one who's worthy to, to break the seals, to open up this scroll, to see what this scroll of destiny says and so we are, uh, today we're going to look at what happens as those seals start coming off. And the four, first four seals, we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse marching forward. And we get to meet them. Isn't this fun? <laughs> Isn't this cool? All I could think of was, who's visiting today? Like, who's our visitors? Like, first time at church, maybe. And, um, and I think, wow, yeah, I went to go visit that Church in Andover on Elm Street, across from Palmer's. Yeah, everybody said it was a great place, but man, they are strange. They're talking about these judgments and these uh, red horses and black horses. And um, it's a lot of, what happens is, as, as the seals are open, these are images, a lot of these are images of God's judgment and wrath. And these seals unleash these seven trumpets, which release these seven bowls of judgment, and it's just judgment, judgment, judgment from here, really through chapter 16. And a lot of people say, no thanks. Like, too much judgment, too much wrath. I can't sit and read through all this stuff. So I'm going to just... That's where people bail out of the book of Revelation. Uh, we're not going to bail. Um, but there are people who actually, their whole faith kind of... They say, look, you believe, you believe in this God of judgment all you want. I believe in a God of love which sounds really nice. And I don't know if you've uh, heard someone say that before, or if you yourself have felt that. To that person, I would say, I also believe in a God of love. But I also believe that we understand God's love because of his wrath and judgment. Actually, those things need to go hand in hand. And it's easy to think of a God of love and ignore a God of judgment if your life is easy. If, you, if you're comfortable and living at peace, but you think about people in war-torn areas, if you think if you had a loved one who was uh, trafficked, you know, as we pray for people today, or, or a loved one who was beheaded, you would want the wrath of God poured out against that kind of violence. Or if, you're, if, if, you just, if there was things getting blown up all around you, you'd, it would be a lot harder to say, well, I believe in a God of love, but this God of judgment thing, just kind of ignore it or push it aside. And then, I mean, the other question is, you know, what if you're wrong? You know, I think the heart of the issue is that sometimes we allow our worldview to shape how we view God. So your worldview shapes your theology. So how I think the world operates shapes how I, who I think God is. Really, we should have it the other way around. Our theology, our view of God, should shape how we view the world and how we understand everything in the world, the good, the bad, the suffering, the blessings, all of it needs to be shaped by our view of who God is. And so these images of God's wrath, we see it throughout Scripture, the Old Testament, the prophets, obscure places like in the minor prophets. But Jesus talked about this too. And in fact, Jesus described the same very scene that's being described here uh, with the horses and with uh, the sun being darkened and all these things. Jesus actually spoke of these things uh, in in the Gospels, and I'm going to show you that. There's a very parallel passage that I want to look at today um, to help us understand these images, which are pretty intense, and I will say, and, and can be difficult in some ways to interpret. But let us pray, and as we pray, we're going to submit ourselves to God. 
into his word and let him shape our view of these things. So let's pray. So Father, uh, we, we all do, um, myself included, we tend to go our own way. We view you the way we, that, that ways that are comfortable to us and easy to understand. And yet, Lord, you have revealed all of who you are. And that's the truth. And I pray that in this time we'd be focused on truth. And as you promised that we can know truth and that truth can set us free, free to know you, free to live life, free to live life to the fullest even, Lord. So we pray that this morning would be part of that um, understanding of your truth and your way. So teach us now, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have the lamb. This is Jesus, and he's popping the seals on, these seven seals on a scroll, getting ready to open this scroll. And as the seals come off, the first four seals reveal these four horsemen. So the first one is in verse 2. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So now we got a rider on a white horse here. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, later in chapter 19, we're going to see another rider on a white horse, and it's Jesus. And there's no doubt that it's Jesus. It's very clear that it's Jesus. And people say, well, there's a white rider on a white horse. Maybe this one's Jesus too. I don't think so. Very unlikely. This is not... Jesus. This is some kind of rider who's been given a crown, so he's been given permission to ride around and conquer. So it's a con- it, whoever it is is out there conquering, and he's with these other three riders as well. So they kind of look at these four together. So the second one is a red horse. Verse four, another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. So now this is a a horse and a rider that is bringing about or is given permission to ride around, and there's killing, uh, people killing each other, bloodshed, you know, blood red horse here. The third horse is black. Verse 5, there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Verse 6, then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and the wine. The image here is an image of scarcity. could be from a famine. It could just be uh, whatever's causing the scarcity, a day's wage for one serving of wheat or a day's wage for three people's serving of barley. It's, it's this uh, massive inflation and scarcity of resources being uh, sort of in times of scarcity, in times of war, uh, in times of uh, plague, you know, prices of things can go out of, can go out of whack. And the last rider is riding a pale horse, verse 8. I looked in there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. So they, the four horses, were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, by the wild beasts of earth. So, so these come trotting onto the scene here is conquering, killing, famine, and death. They're all kind of galloping across the scene. This is horrifying. And they're, they're 
they're to go into the earth, and these things are just going to, these things play out in earth. Now, this is wild, and this is kind of a, an interesting image, but Jesus, the same person, so Jesus, the one who's opening this scroll and revealing these things, the same person talked about the same exact things in the same order of events, Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus was asked by his disciples, they said, Jesus, when are you going to return and when will the end of the ages be? You know, when will all of the end of time, you know, when will all things be completed? And Jesus said this, Matthew 24, 6, he said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, because bloodshed. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of birth pains. So before Jesus' return, before the end of the age as we know it, there will be a period of suffering and of troubles. And Jesus is describing that. He described it talking to his disciples, as Matthew wrote it down. And he describes it here in, the, in this revelation to John. It's, he's saying the same thing. These things, these, these horsemen riding around and these kind of issues that the, the destruction that they bring are things that we see in the world. The things that have been in the world uh, since the, this revelation was given and are things that we experience even today. We experience wars. We experience plagues and pandemics and famines and nations seeking to conquer nations and death by disease and by illness. And these are things that we see, of course. You know, in our day, we, there's wars in our world. February 2023, this is the one-year anniversary of the, the Ukraine war, which is not just over there. It's very much a United States thing as, as our nation is funding a lot of this war and providing uh, munitions. And, I mean, this is, we are very involved in that um, as a nation. Our nation is also has tension with the nation of China, and there's spy balloons and, and floating over Montana, and I, I don't even understand this stuff. What is going on? Um, we experience things like scarcity. You know, we don't have a scarcity of wheat and barley, but, you know, computer chips and eggs or whatever. We, we experience sort of inflated pricing and those sort of things. And we say, well, wait a minute. Is this it? Are we in it now? The issue is every generation of followers of Jesus have, there's been wars in our world almost unceasingly since the time of Jesus. There's been nations seeking to conquer. There's bloodshed. There's, there's been scarcity and famines at different times in different ways. These things are just, we experience them. And Jesus said, look, when the end comes, you're not going to know. Experiencing these things just tells you that the end is is." coming, but it doesn't give you the day or the hour or a precise timeline or a way to calculate the end. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, just be vigilant. Just live as if it's coming. Be prepared for it because you don't know when. Just don't get lulled into comfort or sleep. And you think of those letters in Revelation, those early letters. There were churches that were severely persecuted, but there was other churches that were pretty comfortable, pretty wealthy. And Jesus said to them, wake up. You know, don't just be lukewarm. You, you need to be vigilant. You need to be alert because the, that God is working out his purposes in the world. He, the, there is a certain amount of judgment that's coming into the world just because 
human nature and sin is just, God just allows it to run its course, and that leads to violence, and it leads to war, and it leads to, in, in some ways, it leads to famine and some of these other things. So just be vigilant. And so, really, these, these four horsemen and what they bring around with them are just, has been going in our world for all of the history of, of Jesus' church. So that's the first four seals. But then the next two seals that are popped off this scroll is two other things. There's a cry of the martyrs, and then there's a response. Um, so we see this in verse 9. So then when he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? They, they, they're calling out, Hey, we died for our faith. And when are we going to be vindicated? When is your judgment going to be final? So that this wasn't all just a waste. So they're calling out from beyond the grave. Again, Jesus, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, the very same place he's talking about those things, he told his followers, he said, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. He said, there's going to be persecution. You're going to experience it. Some of you are going to die. And here the image is, is of those who have died to say, Lord, how long do we have to wait until this is all over? And the answer comes in verse 11. How long do you have to wait? Well, each of them was given a white robe, they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. That in subsequent generations, there will be more who will die for their faith, uh, more who will become victim of, of this broken world. But they're given a robe, and the white robe represents purity, and it represents blessedness. Hey, here's a robe. This reminds you that you're the blessed one. Even though you've died, you, you are still the blessed one. You are still the one who I call pure, and you need to wait because when the time comes, the end will come, and it will all be judged, and the end of the world will come. And then you pop the sixth seal, and there's the end of the world. Verse 12. Here we go. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There's a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth and made a made a goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, again, Gospel of Matthew 24, Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. What does this mean? means this. Certainly in the ancient world, people looked at the stars, they looked at the sun and the moon, and they saw how they moved, and everything was uh, in its right course, and they thanked God. That was a sign of God's providence, that he was holding the world together, and everything moved as it should. And today, I still believe that. I, we understand kind of more scientifically orbits and, and astrophysics and these kind of things, but I see it as God's providence that he holds all the laws of the universe together and everything moves the way it should, but there will come a time when it's over, when the breakdown of the heavenly bodies, it's just a dissolution of the world as we know it. it it's all going to end. Now, people say, 
For example, this week, if you own a telescope, you could look to the sky and see the green comet. Did you guys hear about the green comet that went by? And you look at it, and it looks cool, and you call your pastor. And you say, Pastor, I saw the green comet. Is this the star that is falling from the sky? Is this the end of time? Is this what Jesus told us about? Now, you don't need to make that phone call. It's okay. I'm going to say I don't know. It's going to be my answer every single time you call me and ask me that. But I'm going to say that's pretty cool. You know that you saw the green comet and that you didn't, I don't know why you didn't invite me to also stargaze the green comet. It actually, you guys are familiar with this? Google it. It actually happened. Or at least they're saying it happened. Anyway, so people who say, is this literal? Are we going to see, literally see stars moving? Or, are we going to, or is this just more metaphorical? I said, don't miss the point. The point is so clear here. The world as we know it is going to end. And, the, and you can't avoid it. It's going to be over. Look at the, re, the image here, the response of the people. We get people fleeing and trying to hide, and they're begging for death so that they don't have to face this thing that is now uh, coming. And it's kings and generals and people in authority and the wealthy, but it's the poor. It's, I mean, it's everybody is running for cover, and there's no escaping this judgment. And then this is very consistent in Scripture. This, the day of the Lord, for, for those who are not God's people, for the unbelieving world, the day of the Lord is, is, is like terrifying. It's dreadful. And verse 17, I think, sums it up the best. Who can withstand it when this happens? And then we'll jump into chapter 7. It actually shows who will withstand this. There's the redeemed people of God will absolutely be able to withstand. And, and we'll, we'll look at that next week. But it's, I mean, it's coming and it's, it seems very frightening here. And that's, the, that's, the, that's not seven seals. That's only six. We don't get the seventh seal yet. So after the, those who withstand this, in chapter 8, we see the seventh seal. Take a look at this. 8-1. This is uh, Revelation 8-1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Silence. That's, that's drama. That is just to let that sink in. So picture this. You've got, you've got the worthy lamb popping the, the seals off. You've got these, the four horsemen who are roaming the earth, um, leaving a wake of death and destruction behind them. We've got uh, the, the call out of the martyrs and those who have suffered and who have been killed in the faith. And they say, just hold on a little bit longer. You're blessed now, but it's coming. And then all the world as we know it ends. And then pause and reflect on that for a second. Okay, what do we do with this? Three things, real quick. One, suffering. Suffering. That we are not, Jesus never promised that we would be free of suffering. The Christians in the church are not immune from the tribulations which are to come. We will not escape it, we, but we will endure it. You see, we don't need Jesus to tell us that the world is broken. We don't need Jesus to tell us that there's suffering in the world. You've got to open your eyes. We see the violence in the world. We see the wars. We see the famine. We see injustice. We see all these things. Every day, we see them. We don't need Jesus to tell us it's going to happen and that we're going to experience it. We need Jesus to tell us it's not meaningless. 
We need Jesus to remind us that he has greater purposes. We need Jesus to remind us that there's a greater thing in store. There's goodness in store if we will endure in faith with him. That's why we need this image of Revelation 4 and 5 we looked at last week. We need to know that God is still on his throne. We need to know that God is worthy of worship. And we need to know that he's going to complete his work. And that there will be a day where it's all made right, where all evil is vanquished, and where all righteousness is lived out. We need to know that so that we can endure. So we need to be people who understand this. And we need to pray for, especially for Christians who are suffering and are persecuted in their faith. We are not in many ways. But Christians around the world, and there's one organization called Open Door, they sort of track this kind of thing, encourage people to pray for the the persecuted Christians in our world. One in seven Christians is discriminated against or facing violence or persecution because of their faith in Jesus. One in seven. They estimate about 360 million Christians. That's more than the population of the United States, of Christians around the world who are living in danger and opposition simply because of their faith in Jesus. And so we need to be praying for these Christians, and we need to be supporting ministries that help protect these Christians and help them to do the the good things that they are called to do. But we all suffer in different ways. You know, it's not just wars. It's not just being killed for your faith, but it's also disease. It's sickness is described here. It's all the things that bring suffering and death. And, you know, my heart is for people who are sick and suffering in different ways, just the brokenness of this world. As many of you know, I was pretty sick through most of December and to January and um, but it was I was suffering from something that was very treatable and I'm receiving treatment for that and I'm going to be fine. But my heart during that time was for people who have just chronic pain, even if it's something like arthritis or debilitating pain like migraines or chronic sickness where there is no cure and just how frustrating it is day in and day out to not have the energy to accomplish the things you want to accomplish or or even just the focus to be able to just live life. And just my heart breaks for those who are sick and suffering or those who face the brokenness of the world. All of our pastoral care ministries, and I'm so grateful for Lori Lawless and her leadership in our pastoral care ministries, but we think about divorce care, a ministry to support those who've just been broken uh, by broken relationship and marriage and divorce. Grief share, meeting today, starting a new course. People have just um, lost loved ones and experiencing death to those closest to them. Financial peace course going on right now. People who experience the financial pressures of our world and some of these you know, inflationary issues and these things that we do experience. It's not, it's not just that People have gotten in trouble with debt, although that certainly happens. It's about people wanting to navigate a a world that's difficult to navigate, even financially. There's so much suffering in different ways, whether it's in acute ways or kind of chronic ways. It's, we need to know that it's not just meaningless. We need to know that God's on his throne. And we need to know that there will be, it will be made right even if it's at the end of time. As much as we um, 
suffer, our eternal security is never in doubt. And we'll see that. We'll look at that next week. So we need to just be aware of suffering and just really seeking God who is still good in the midst of it. Secondly, we need to really embrace this notion of God's wrath and God's judgment. Again, God's wrath and his judgment is a present reality in our world, as Romans 1.18 says, but it's also a future reality. Um, this is, and again, God's judgment can be active, you know, God judging the world, but it can also be God just allowing the natural course of people's sin and brokenness to just play itself out in this world, and that ends up looking like injustice. It ends up looking like war and violence. It ends up looking like all kinds of evil that just is running its course in our world. And God's wrath is a response to that evil and that wickedness. It, we, we need that. We can't just ignore it. It's interesting that the wrath of God here in verse 16 is called the wrath of the Lamb. That's a very interesting way to describe wrath. Because who is the Lamb? The wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb is the image of... It's, it's a picture of this gentle lamb that looks like it has been slaughtered. It looks like it's been slayed. It's an image of Jesus, what he did on the cross. And when we think about the cross, it, cross, it's the wrath of God poured out on Jesus for us. That's amazing love. It's an amazing sacrifice that God's love and God's wrath meet on the cross as he goes in our place to take on God's wrath. Every person in this world this is the problem. Any sin, anything that goes away from God's plan, anything that destroys God's beautiful world needs to be dealt with because God is holy and perfect and sin and brokenness are imperfect and cannot be in God's presence. And we have... Everybody needs to make a choice. Like how is that going to be dealt with? Am I going to just do my best and see how I stand against God's judgment against the sin in my life? Or do I accept what Jesus did for me, that God's judgment went to him in my place as my substitute? That God is both, that God can be both fully loving and a God of judgment and a God of wrath. Think about anything that you love tremendously. I think about my children. I love my children. Anything that would harm them or do evil to them, my wrath is against that thing. I will push that thing away from my children, whatever it takes me to do that. And that's how, if sin is an offense against a holy God, his wrath is against it. And yet, God is a God of grace. Look at this. When God is revealing himself, this is a very consistent understanding of God. In Exodus chapter 34, God is revealing himself to Moses. He's passing in front of Moses. And he proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That's, that's who God is. He's, he's abounding in love and grace. But evil has to be dealt with. Sin has to be punished. Love and wrath, they go hand in hand, and we see that most beautifully on the cross, and we remember what God did to be able to forgive us and to be able to 
call us his own so that we are secure in him. So we need to understand the wrath of God. We need to understand suffering. And lastly, the timing of this, Matthew chapter 24, is best for this. Revelation um, 6 here doesn't really talk about the timing. It just says you've got to wait a little bit and it's going to happen. Um, I, I don't have time to go into great detail on this. My personal view is that I think that the world will actually get worse before it gets better, before the end comes, but I do believe the end is coming. I would commend to you a sermon I preached back in June 2021 called What Jesus Doesn't Know. And Jesus said, not even the Son knows the, the day or the hour, not the angels of heaven, just God the Father knows kind of when this is all going to go down. But what we do know is that we need to be vigilant. What we do know, Matthew 24, 13, Jesus said, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So we live vigilant lives, committed to gathering as God's people to worship, supporting one another in fellowship, um, committed to prayer, living our lives ready for that day to come where it will all be made right, and we will be there. We'll experience it, and we'll know God's goodness and peace in all of its fullness, the way the world should be. Let us pray. Father, I just pray that we would take this word and be encouraged. We know our world is chaotic. We know that there's, there's no shortage of evil in this world. Big things like wars and plagues and small ways that we experience the hurt of this world day in and day out. And yet you are on your throne and yet you are good. And you will complete it. We need to have hope. We need to know that it's not, that it's not meaningless. And that is not hopeless at all, Lord. And if anybody has come here this morning with any sense of hopelessness or worthlessness or in any way helplessness, Lord, I pray that you would just reveal yourself, continue to reveal yourself to us as a good and loving God who went all the way to redeem us and save us. Help us to always always treasure our status as your children. May we respond always to your love by loving and serving in your name in our world around us. May it be. In Jesus' name, amen.